time, if you would join me, we are in 1 John chapter 4. That's the scripture reading we're going to be reading today. And at least if you're in the front pews, we put out some Bibles again. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Those Bibles are uh, for you to take. Um, Because as we were just saying before the service, actually, we were talking about how important it is to to open up God's Word as we're studying it together because God's Word is with you wherever you go. You can read these words of truth and the Spirit can use them to change your hearts wherever you go and wherever you read them. So join us together, 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today we're we're talking about love. And I'll start with with one of several quotes that I'll be sharing throughout my message this morning. It's uh, by G.K. Chesterton, English writer, philosopher, theologian. He said this, he said, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors, and it also tells us to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. (laughs) Have you noticed that to be often true? Today we're getting into the first of the nine attributes that are listed to describe what the Apostle Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. These are various aspects of of one fruit that grows in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we see these aspects of this fruit growing in our lives when we find ourselves rooted in God and the presence of the Holy Spirit living out of us. And so, as I think about it, it seems fitting that the biblical author would choose the first on this list to be love. And so we're going to ask a question this morning. What is love? And there's all sorts of songs that are playing through my head when I ask that question. And there seems to be just as many different definitions of love as there are songs about love. And I spent way too much time reading different definitions from various people throughout history. For example, Aristotle, he said this, Love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies. That sounds romantic, doesn't it? Saying a guy, you guys are laughing. You're not the romantic types. You're not gushy here at the 8 o'clock service. St. Augustine said this. He said, since love grows within you, so beauty grows. For love is the beauty of the soul. That one's pretty good, too. My favorite, though, Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts, he said, love is sharing your popcorn, <laughs> right? Especially when it's not free refills. That's true love. The reality is all these definitions are great, but none of them, I don't think at least, and I read lots more as I was preparing this week, they really don't do justice in defining love. 
They don't tell us what love is. And that leads us today to our scripture reading in 1 John, which is one biblical author's attempt to define this undefinable thing that we call love. Now, the passage in 1 John chapter 4 is one that often shows up during wedding ceremonies. I feel like when I give a list of suggested passages to couples, they so often choose this passage or something around it. In the surrounding immediate context, if you add it together, there are 32 different times when the word love is spoken, and yet if you read all of it, you'll find that even with all of the talk about love here, there still isn't a clear and concise dictionary definition of love. Instead, the author John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, seems to take a different approach and seems to be answering several questions around what love is and the word love. And the questions aren't explicitly asked, but the answers are found. And so there's way more than three, but we're only going to have time to cover three today. And these are three questions that the author answers in the passage that we're studying. The first one is this. Where does love come from? Where does love come from? 1 John 4, 7 through 8 again. It says this. Dear friends, let us love one another for, say it with me, love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now I was, sometimes God speaks to me while I'm writing my messages. Actually, hopefully most of the time God speaks to me while I'm writing my messages, but sometimes it's really clear, and it was this week. I was studying this passage. I was writing my sermon. I think it was Friday morning, and uh, my wife, Alyssa, she texted me. I was sitting in my office in the basement of our house, and she said, hey, just so you know, I'll be right back. The kids and I are leaving. We're going to Burlington to buy some peaches. Now, does anybody know what she's talking about when she says we're going to Burlington? Okay, a couple of you do. I know that if you're doing this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The peach truck came to Burlington. Now, if you don't know what the peach truck is, it is a truck that is um, driven by a family-run business known as Tree Ripe Fruit. And for over 30 years, they're based in Wisconsin. They have been driving a truck down to Georgia where they literally will pick peaches fresh off the tree, put them in the truck, and drive them up to Wisconsin so that we can have farm-fresh Georgia peaches. Now they do it all around the Midwest, but it started here in Wisconsin. And anybody who has been blessed to taste one of these Georgia peaches knows that where a peach comes from matters. Where a peach comes from matters. And we all know what a peach tastes like, right? We also know that that we may not have the words to adequately describe the taste of a peach, but if I tell you where that peach comes from, you might have a little better idea of how that peach would taste. Now, when I look at all the definitions of love that I read this week and the few that I shared with you already this morning, none of them express to us where love comes from, do they? They try to talk about love, but none of them talk about where it comes from. The peach comes from Georgia, and love, according to the disciple Jesus loves, love comes from God. 
And that's an important distinction to know as we're trying to understand what love is. That's the first question that John answers. The second question is this, what does love that comes from God look like? What does love that comes from God look like? We know it comes from God, but what does it look like? Verse 9, he says, this is how God showed us love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, how do you know that you're biting into a Georgia peach? How do you know that you're biting into a Georgia peach? It's actually pretty simple. The guy who drove the truck has to tell you that he came from Georgia, right? <laughs> There's nothing profound to that answer. And, and, and what does that look like, right? What does that process look like? It's pretty simple. It looks like a peach that 24 hours ago was hanging on a tree in Savannah, Georgia. And some guy grabbed it off the tree and placed it carefully in a container and put it in a truck, drove straight through the night so that by 10 a.m. on Friday morning, my wife, Alyssa, could drive into Burlington in a parking lot and she could purchase a peach for our family. It's all very simple. It's not profound. A Georgia peach is a peach that came from Georgia. It's a peach that started in Georgia and now is in Wisconsin. Well, here's the thing. In a similar way... John says that love that looks, what love looks like is a God who started in heaven and now is here with us. Love looks like a God who started in heaven and now is here with us. And before you think that I'm just obsessed with Georgia peaches, okay, and I am because they're fresh and we got a whole bunch of them this week, but but here's why this is important. Here's why this is part of the answer to what this love looks like. Because just like I can't taste a Georgia peach as long as it's hanging from a tree in Savannah, Georgia, and I'm sitting here in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, you and I can't taste love if it remains where it comes from. We can't experience it. We can't see it. We can't hold it. And so God sent his son because love looks like presence. It also looks like sacrifice. Because see, unlike the peaches, God has an infinitely greater purpose to send his son to us. And that is to serve as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. An atoning sacrifice. And you might wonder, what does that have to do with love? Atonement doesn't sound like a romantic word you should preach about at a wedding. Right? We'll just skip right over that. And yet that might be the most loving word in this entire context. This has everything to do with love because it reminds us that God doesn't just span a physical distance to bring his love to us, but that he has traveled through the night of our sin and our shortcomings and our mistakes to come to us. See, love that doesn't go deep enough to acknowledge those things and to see those things and to see the other person for who they are is not love at all. It's superficial. And God didn't send his son to superficially love you and me. He sent his son to know us. Another quote that I read that I found meaningful, it was by the late Trappist monk Thomas Merton. He said this, he said, The beginning of love is to let those that we love be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit into our own image. Otherwise, 
we love only the reflection of ourselves that we find in them. See, this is true. Right? Chris and Wayne, I'm just going to point you out, those of you who don't know who I'm pointing out, but they're celebrating 19 years of marriage. Can we praise God for that? After 19 years of marriage, I have a feeling you know a little bit about what you were getting yourself into now, don't you? They're nodding a lot. Uh, those of you online, I just want you to know I'm actually a little, no, I'm just kidding. They're smiling. They bought the flowers here, right? That's what true love is, though. True love is knowing that other person, is seeing that other person, is knowing who they are all about everything, knowing they're good, they're bad, everything in between. Here's the problem, though, when it comes to love from God. God is perfect. God is perfect, and the true image of you and me, as anybody who's married knows, and as anybody who's unmarried knows, the true image of you and me is that we are not perfect. And the problem is that while two imperfect people might choose to get married, a perfect God cannot perfectly love an imperfect people. It doesn't work that way. Not because God doesn't want to. Not because God is grossed out by you or something. But because the very nature of the imperfections that we carry, they build a wall between us and God. They build a barrier in our relationship. And God doesn't like that fact any more than you and I do. But it is a reality of the problem. And if you don't understand it on a spiritual level, just think about it on a human relationship level. Our imperfections, our baggage, our brokenness, does it not build walls between us and the people that we're seeking to love? Are those things not the things that build walls between people who are trying to love us? Just think last week, right? We read the, the, the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. The opposite, the, Paul calls them the acts of the flesh. Again, I'll read the, the list here. He said sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, unspiritualize that list for just a second and ask yourself, are those not things that will also prevent you from inheriting the love of a spouse or the love of a child or the love of a neighbor or the love of a friend? Isn't it hard to love someone who's jealous? Isn't it almost impossible to love someone who's filled with envy, who's drunk all the time, who hates, who has fits of rage? And I see a lot of nodding going on here in the room, and I'm sure there's a lot of nodding going on at home because we know because it happens to us. We can all find things on this list that we've done, that we are guilty of, that has built walls in our relationships with each other. And so when that happens to us in our relationship with one another, how do we handle it? When these walls get built up and we're guilty of something on this list, what do we do? There's, there's three different ways that we often will handle it. The first one is we just walk away. We just don't put up with it. 
We just say, you know what? Nope, I'm not dealing with that. Your sin is preventing me from being able to love you. Or my sin is preventing you from being able to love me. And so I don't want to deal with it anymore. I'm just going to walk away. That's one way. We deal with it that way. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's one way that we deal with these things. Another way we might deal with them is to pretend like they don't exist. And this one happens quite a bit too. You might have somebody in your life, you say, you know, yeah, sure. You know, he has fits of rage all the time, but, but we just don't talk about it. We just don't talk about that as a family. It's just better to just be quiet. We just, you know, unsaid. That's, that's an option, right? You could walk away or you can pretend as if it doesn't exist. And, and the problem with both of those options is that they don't actually fix the problem, Right? <laughs> They don't actually fix the problem if your goal is to be able to actually love the person on the other side. They're they're options that accept that the problem is just never going to be solved. And the truth is, I get it. And I've chosen those options and relationships in my life. I've experienced that. I get it in our relationships with each other. Sometimes this happens. Sometimes we do just walk away. Sometimes we're so overwhelmed by the brokenness that we can't help but cope by minimizing it. And my guess is that that's true to some extent for all of us. But I do want to point out that it's not true with the love of God. This is not the way in which God, in his relationship with you and me, handles the barriers that prevent us from loving him and him from loving us. In God's relationship with you and me, he did not choose the first two options. God didn't just walk away. And God did not choose to minimize our brokenness either. And those are two very popular things to think about when you think about religion. And when you talk about people, especially people that are far from God, that haven't heard the gospel, right? Right? Some people might say, God walked away. God isn't with me. Other people might say that that God accepts everything, that God doesn't look at my brokenness, that God doesn't know about my sin, or he says it's all okay. But there's a third option that the gospel tells us God chose. God chose a third option, and it is that while we were yet sinners, God came closer. He leaned in to who we really are. Romans 5, 8, you've heard it probably a thousand times. Paul said this. He said, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... While we were still building walls, while there was still a barrier that was preventing us from loving God and God from loving us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still putting up those walls in our relationship, God came to us and he called out each wall by name. He called out each imperfection, each barrier, each sin. And then God did what what you and I could never do on our own. He took upon himself the consequences of those things. He took upon himself the consequences of our acts of flesh, our brokenness, our sin, and he paid the price on the cross as an atoning sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with God that is true and pure so that you don't have to wonder whether God really sees you for who you really are. 
God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows the imperfections and the sins that you've committed that nobody on earth knows about. God knows all of those things. He says, I know exactly who you are and I love you. And I've done what it takes to bring down those walls so that I can still love you. That you can love me and that we can be in a relationship with one another. And it leads us to the third and final question. It's what does this love look like? What does this kind of love look like? Now we may still not have a concise Webster dictionary definition of love, right? But we now know where love comes from, right? It comes from Georgia. No, it comes from God, right? Right? Peaches come from Georgia. Love comes from God. And we all know that. We know what love that comes from God looks like, right? It's, it's him coming to us. And so the third question is then, what does that kind of love look like in our lives? What does it look like among us? And again, John answers that question too in verse 11. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, so we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and say this part with me, and his love is made complete in us. Last quote that I'll share with you. This one's from theologian N.T. Wright. He said this. He said, love is not just tolerance. Love is not just tolerance. It's not just distant appreciation. It's a warm sense of I am enjoying the fact that you are you. That's love. That's love. In us. That love in us. Love that comes from God in us. What does it look like? It looks like us, to the best of our ability, taking that love and extending that same love that God has extended to us to the people around us. Love that breaks the barriers of sin and the brokenness that comes from the acts of of the flesh that breaks those down, not just in the way in which God has broken them down for us with him, but then goes and does those things by breaking down those walls in our relationships with one another that we might be able to love other people too. And the tools in our toolbox are the same tools that God has used to love us. They are very simple. As simple as it is to describe that a peach comes from Georgia Love comes from forgiveness. It comes from the tools that grow as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you say, that's fine, I get it, but I don't have the ability to do that. <laughs> and you don't. Which is why John says, you're not alone in trying. Look at verse 13. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and that he lives in us. He has given us his spirit. And in the presence of his spirit, we love because Jesus first loved us. I'll leave you with a story. I've been waiting two years to share this story, just looking for the opportunity where it seemed to fit in the passage, and I feel like it did today. Um, Two years ago, my, my wife Alyssa and I, we took our kids to one of our favorite places to, to walk, uh, which is McKinley Park in downtown Milwaukee, you know, where the marina is and everything. And, 
And I, I'm not even sure why we, we gravitate to that park. I don't know how we originally decided that was a place we like to go, but it's, it's become a regular spot for us um, over the last several years. Uh, I know for me, uh, we're, we've talked about this many times in the past, we're licensed foster parents in Milwaukee County, so as we've brought our children to visit their parents, it's an easy spot where, where I've gone to sit and pray and just look over Lake Michigan um, in anxious moments, um, a place just to go and to be with God. Um, I, it's just a place we like to go. I've written sermons at the coffee shop across the street from there. I've read books. I've asked God questions, and so... So two years ago, we, we decided one summer day we were going to go for a walk at McKinley Park. And, and we got the family in the van, and it was really hot, I remember, that day. So when we pulled into the parking lot, we took out the stroller. We took out all of the children. You know, we've got about 1,000. And so as they all came out, right, they sat down. And my wife, Alyssa, is wonderful. She never forgets uh, to make sure that they are lathered with sunscreen when it's really hot. And with the sun and all that, I mean, it was just, it was a really hot day. And so she, she put lots of sunscreen on the kids. And I remember... We went for our walk, and it was a great walk. I remember the kids were, they were just happy, you know. They, 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 just were, they were in a good mood, and there was this breeze coming off the lake, and there were these big boats coming in and out of the marina, which is fun for the kids and the adults. And when we were done, we, we packed up everything into the van, and we were about halfway to Elkhorn on Highway 43, and Alyssa noticed that she wasn't wearing her wedding ring. And she was convinced that she was wearing her wedding ring when we left to go for this walk. And so, of course, we pulled over and we looked through the whole van and we couldn't find her wedding ring. And so we drove home and I got on the phone and I called the, the park because we were afraid that we might have dropped it. And they said, well, there's nothing we can do, but the, the, the Milwaukee Police Department, they, they're in charge of, of whatever. And so I called the police department, wonderful officer. He dropped whatever he was doing. It was probably a bank robbery or something. And no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but he was so kind. He actually, he, he did drop whatever, wherever he was. He went to the park, he looked, and he could not find her, her wedding ring. And so um, I dropped the kids off and I hopped in the car. I went back to the park. And I looked forever, and I didn't have any luck either. We never found the ring. And Alyssa was devastated. And, and I was devastated too. And, and I was there at the park, and I walked, I mean, for an hour, two hours. You know, these are the kind of things, right, that you pray to God, and you're like, God, I know you can show me where this ring is. Right? I know you're capable of doing that. Will you just point it out? And I had all of this, this conversation with God. And then as it was going and I wasn't finding it, I was going increasingly fearful. What if I never find it? I don't think we have insurance out on it. I mean, like all of this stuff. What if somebody stole it? And somewhere in those frustrated prayers that I was praying, God answered my prayer. And it wasn't in the way that I was expecting, but I felt peace, peace that came from him, and I know it came from him. It wasn't audible words, but it was this imposition on my mind and my heart. I realized, after, after looking forever and realizing that I'm probably not going to find it, I realized that this was providing us with an opportunity, and that opportunity is that at that time, we had been married 11 years. We've been married 13 years now. And we had raised six children. Four of them are with us right now. Two of them have been able to go home. And in 
all of that and in living in three different places and serving two different churches and going through health scares and oh my goodness, the abundance of grace that that woman has had to exert on being married to this guy. (laughs) As I'm thinking about all of these things and I'm looking for her ring, I realize that this might provide me with the opportunity to ask Alyssa to marry me all over again. And so that's what I did. Now, it took over a year because we didn't have a lot of insurance on it. We had some, and so we had to pursue that. And and we got that back, and then we saved up, and eventually I was able to go buy that ring. And I went out and I bought it without her knowledge. She told me what she wanted, but I bought it without her even knowing. And I waited for the perfect moment to ask her to marry me again. And I let the older boys in on the story. I did not let our four-year-old Sophie in on it because Sophie would have told her immediately. And, and so I didn't do that, but I told the boys, and I said to Alyssa, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's go up to McKinley Park in Milwaukee. And so we got in the van, and we drove up to McKinley Park, and we drove up there. The setting was perfect. The sun was shining. The weather was just great. There was just a slight breeze over the, over the lake. Actually, I'm lying. None of that's true. There was a ton of traffic. <laughs> There was all of this construction all over the park. Any of you who have been out there recently know that they just did all of this stuff. It was like right in the heart of all of that. And no sooner did we pull into the parking lot, it started pouring rain. And so I turned around and I started driving around Milwaukee hoping that the rain would stop. And Alyssa's now getting frustrated with me. There's four kids in the car. They're starting to get antsy. Why are you so focused on going on this walk? Can we just go home? And after like an hour, I'm watching the radar on my phone. I see there's like this little blip of, of, of calm between like two storm clouds. And so I took the advantage of it and pulled into the parking lot. And we took the kids out, put them in the stroller, walked to the exact spot that we lost the ring. I got down on one knee and I had all the other kids get down on one knee. I gave them ring pops and I had the real ring. And after 12 years of marriage... I proposed again. We proposed again. And thankfully, just like the first time, she said yes. And I can't make this up. No sooner did we propose, it began pouring rain. (laughs) Pouring rain all over us. And I realized, just like I did a year ago when I was praying and frustrated and realized that the ring was probably lost forever, that the rain was also probably the perfect setting. You know why? Because after 12 years of marriage, we know that our relationship isn't perfect. We know that, that, that marriage isn't perfect. We know that we're not perfect as a couple. We know that we're not perfect as a family. And while a bright and sunshiny day, to quote an old song, would have been a really good picturesque setting for this story, the rain was probably more accurate. This was a year ago. We were still in the middle of a very difficult season of foster care. We were at the beginning of a global pandemic with so much uncertainty about the future. And it was pouring rain. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all that brokenness, God gave us an opportunity to say to one another once again, I love you. Friends, God does the same thing for you and me. He doesn't wait 
until the sun is shining and we're all cleaned up. It's in the middle of our brokenness that he comes to us from where love comes from, shows us his love by paying the price to break down the barriers that prevent us from loving him and him from loving us, and then he calls us to go and do the same for others. So let's join together now as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us with such depth of love that you paid the price not just to create us, not just to knit us together in our mother's wombs, but then to come again from where love comes from and to pay the price to break down the walls and the barriers that come from the acts of our flesh. That you are a God that does not ignore those things. Those things are real and they cause brokenness and they cause pain and your love is too deep not to see them for what they really are. And your love is also too deep not to allow them to continue to be a barrier to all those who call upon your name, who respond to your love and who receive the forgiveness that you extended to us 2,000 years ago when you gave the atoning sacrifice for our sins, which is literally you. Your life that was poured out for us. I think about marriage because it's just one of, of the many ways in which you give us an opportunity to, to practice the love that you have given us completely and perfectly in imperfect ways. How often is our spouse our neighbor? How often is our spouse our enemy? And it's through that commitment of love that you show us that just like you are with us, with your help and in your spirit, we too can be with those around us, extending the same love that you've shared with us. And so God, help us to do that. Help us to be reminded that in order to love others in our lives with sacrificial love, we are to be reminded that this is not something we can do one and done. It is to walk in the Spirit.